Hello, this is Timothy Bond with True Vine Publishing Company, and you are listening to The Right Change Podcast. On The Right Change, you'll hear from world-changing authors, get inspired, and get empowered to produce literary greatness. On this episode, we will talk with Brian Banks, author of It Had to Happen, The Agony of Success. This episode of The Right Change was brought to you by Truvine Publishing Company. If you're ready to write your book but don't know where to start, we have the plan for you. With our beginner's publishing plan, we will give you the writing support you need to quickly complete a publishable manuscript. We will provide you marketing and sales support training. We will give you access to our Truvine Success Accountability Team. And we will produce a quality book with hard copies and ebooks with global distribution. Call us today at 615-44-BOOKS or visit our website, www.truvinepublishing.org. Right Change, where our guest today is Brian Banks, author of It Had to Happen. The Agony of Success. How are you doing today, Honorable Brian Banks? Well, good afternoon, and uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm great on this Wednesday afternoon, and uh, I'm glad to be a part of your show on today. Absolutely, absolutely. I always want to start off my shows thanking uh, my clients, thanking you for the opportunity to be a part of the vision that you had, uh, publishing your book, reaching the masses with a message that I think is amazing and uh, definitely uh, much needed in the community. So thank you for that opportunity. Absolutely. And thank you for your services and uh, just being professional and getting the job done. And and I appreciate it and just the partnership to uh, help me get my message out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the, um, the book title, It Had to Happen. Now, this is a little bit of a <laughs> paradox, the agony of success. Talk to us about this book title. You know, um, I had gone through a lot in my life and oftentimes we take success and we think that when success comes, it comes easy. Mm, yeah. And that wasn't the case for me. You know, everything that um, I have and everything I've accomplished it's been because of the grace of God and God's hand on my life, mm-hmm. but it's also been because I had to work hard yeah. and some things I had to fight for. And I learned that my success brought agony. Mm-hmm. My success brought some dark days, some lonely days, some dark nights. Sometimes, you know, um, I, you, you know, while we're going through, we don't understand the process uh, that we're going through. Yes. Uh, but that process is often to get us to our expected end. Right. You know, and so I felt that my story uh, could help encourage, inspire, uplift others, uh, regardless of what uh, others have gone through. Uh, and so I, I wanted people to know that everything that you've gone through in life, it had to happen to get you to your final place of destiny. It had to happen to build character. It had to happen to show your strength. It had to happen so you will know 
that it was nobody but God. It had to happen so that you would realize that all things do work together for good and to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. I, I teased you before, I asked you if you were a preacher. <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. No, sir. You know, I'm just uh, born and raised, uh, uh, born and raised uh, Baptist uh, and, um, you know, had pastors and ministers in my family. And so we stayed in church. Uh, currently, I'm uh, Church of God in Christ, which I have been for uh, a number of years, about 15 years. Okay. And so, um, you know, Sunday, those are the those are the days of Sunday school. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and Bible study. And so, uh, as you've seen in my book, you know, I come from a, a, a home that was dysfunctional, mm. but there was also the importance of our faith instilled in us. And so yeah. we went to church every Sunday. Some of us yeah. uh, went to church every Sunday. And so, uh, I, it, it, but for God in my life, I don't think I would have survived the many challenges that I had. Yeah. So you say, you said that your story, you know, your story of success, um, it had its ups and downs. It, it, it was, it was painful. Tell us a little bit about that story. You know, not the, 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 um, the, the broken down version. Tell us a little bit about, okay. you know, how you got to where you are. All right. Well, listen, um, I'm 44 years old, born and raised on the east side of Detroit, Michigan. I was raised by a single mother. I uh, didn't know my father for many of my uh, younger years. Uh, my grandfather was the only father figure I had in my life. And so uh, my grandfather pretty much took care of my mom and I. My mom worked, but we lived with my grandfather. And um, like any other child, you know, I uh, went through my phases where I was shy then I was inquisitive. Uh, but then I started noticing things around me. Uh, in my grandfather's house, it wasn't just my mom, my grandfather and I. But it was our step our step family, and I had a step grandmother uh, who was my grandfather's second wife after my grandparents divorced, but prior to me being born, um, and oftentimes she wasn't the nicest woman uh, that was in my life. Um, she had some issues with alcohol, uh, and uh, she also had some jealousy, deep rooted jealousy and envious. Uh, ways about her because of the relationship that my grandfather had with my mom and with myself. Uh, and so living in that household brought a lot of issues, a lot of arguments, fights, uh, a lot of long nights. And as a result, you know, I began to act out and I began to skip school. Uh, I was in 11th grade with a 3.97 grade point average. And I started skipping school because for one, um, I wasn't challenged in school. Uh, I would finish my work and just be sitting there and um, I just didn't have a desire to, to finish. And so I started skipping school. My grandfather would drop me off at school. And as soon as he pulled off, I would run to the bus stop and jump on the bus and make it home before my grandfather would make it back home. Oh, wow. And I would fix breakfast and go up in my room and stay up in my room until my grandfather left to go pick up my, grand my step grandmother from work because my grandfather was retired at the time. And so um, you were in the house while upstairs. <laughs> yes, my bedroom was the only one upstairs. And so, you know, I would uh, fix a bowl of cereal, a sandwich, you know, and go upstairs and have all my snacks. And I would just be up there, you know, then, you know, I got real fancy. I would leave the school and go to the mall and have breakfast at restaurants. Uh, and so um, after doing that for about three, four weeks, I finally told my grandfather, my mother, that I had been skipping. And I told them why. 
and um, they took me out of public school and put me in a private uh, Lutheran school. Mm-hmm. Well, that wasn't any, any better because it was just the rejects that got put out of the public school who could afford to go to private school that was there. And so it wasn't any better. And so uh, that led to me hanging out with the wrong people. And I ultimately began um, committing a fraud using the credit cards that wasn't ours, Mm -hmm. uh, that didn't belong to us uh, at the mall. And um, it started out at little low-end stores and low-end things, and then it eventually got up to high-end stores. And next thing you know, I was going through the criminal justice system, Mm -hmm. uh, having to go to court having to uh, be uh, arraigned, having to ha- have my mugshot taken. And I went through the criminal justice system um, without a high school diploma. Mm. And by that time I'm 20, 21. And uh, thanks be to God, he put me before a judge who showed mercy. And that judge saw something in me that I didn't even know still existed in myself. Uh, and that was greatness. You know, she would, she would speak to me as like, as if she knew me my whole life Mm. and she was speaking to me. And I'm like, wow, this woman really cares. And she would say, why are you hanging out with these people? You come from a good family. You know, by that time I had gotten a job, a really good job without a high school diploma, uh, at a a big three at the General Motors. Uh, and I was in the office and, um, life was good, but I still was doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. And, as I went through that process, I ended up uh, having one issue after the other, one issue after the other. And going through that process, it cost a lot of money. Uh, my grandfather, my mom bonded me out to getting lawyers. And at one point, I lost all hope. I lost all hope. I lost all hope uh, and desire. Mm-hmm. I thought my dreams, I thought my goals that I wanted to obtain were over for me. You know, I one day had a dream that I was going to go to law school. It's going to be this big time attorney. I was going to then become a judge and sit on the bench Mm. and help people change their lives around. And I just knew it was over for me. And that judge, along with my mom and my grandfather, believed in me and believed that I could turn my life around. And I left out of that courtroom one day and I went the next day and got my GED. And the day after, I went and enrolled at the university. And I got my bachelor's degree in three and a half years. Wow. I started teaching school. And let me be clear, uh, that's when the revelation day started to happen. That's when the light began to come on. I didn't just stop instantly, but it was when I started thinking about the consequences of my actions. I started thinking about why am I doing this? I didn't have to do anything that I was doing. Uh, I was small rotten. Anything that I wanted, you know, my grandfather, my mom made sure I had. And so... You know, I drove a nice car. Um, by that time, I was living on, in an apartment on the river by myself. And, 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 you know, I was going to church every Sunday, uh, dancing and shouting, but I was still breaking the law. Uh-huh. And so um, I, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed not just for me, but I was embarrassed for my family because of the shame I, I brought on my family. And so slowly but surely, you know, um, I just put a plan together. I stopped hanging out with those people. Uh, I got went to school and got my bachelor's degree. It wasn't easy. Uh, I then started teaching school for a number of years. And uh, I then went and got my master's degree. And I'm like, I can't go to law school. No one's going to accept me in law school. Yeah. And so I started that process. 
And I went to apply to one law school and I was turned down. Applied to another law school, was turned down. And I'll never forget, uh, there's a law school uh, at Michigan State University. They have a law school and that's about an hour and a half away from my house. And a friend of mine, uh, she and I were trying to get into law school at the same time. And so I said, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna call and set an appointment up to take a tour of the law school. And so she joined me. And at the end of that tour, when we were walking out of the admissions office to leave, black lady saw us. And she said, hi, how are you? And she introduced herself as the director of diversity services. Mm-hmm. And she wow. said, are you all visiting the law school? And we said, yes, we just took a tour. She said, well, no one told me you all were even going to be in the building. I'm the director of diversity services. I should have knew this. <laughs> and so she asked us, do we have time to come to her office? And we went to her office. And then she called the only African-American dean to our office. And she introduced us to the dean. And we both had all of our transcripts and everything. And they looked at all of our paperwork. And they're like, oh, wow, impressive. You both have bachelor's degrees. You both have master's degrees. You both have some real life uh, professional experience. You know, you've done decent on your LSAT. You know, you, you would be a perfect fit. And so I said, well, no, there's some things I need to tell you. Uh, I said, uh, I got in trouble with the law a few years ago. And they're like, okay, you didn't rape, rob, or murder nobody, did you? I said, no. They said, well, you know, what, what happened? And I shared it with them. And I shared with them how many uh, convictions I had. And the, the dean looked at me and he said, well, I can't make any promises. Um, but we're going to see what we can do to help you. And so I had been turned down and heard the word no for so long. I didn't have any faith. I was like, whatever, you know, that's, he just said what he needed to say to get me out of his, out of his (laughs) office. And so, um, he left the office and came back. When he came back, he said, well, we have a summer conditional program that I think both of you all would be a great asset, but I think it will help you. And it's a six week program and you have to come here and stay on campus for six weeks. And you have to take three classes. And at the conclusion of those six weeks, if you pass, we'll offer you a full-time seat in the fall. Wow. And I said, what? And so he said, yeah. He said, you know, fill out this application and, you know, we'll get back with you. Filled out the application, left. About two weeks later, a big envelope arrived at my house that I had been accepted in the program. And I found myself moving into a college dorm at the age of 31 years old. And uh, I went through that six-week program and it it was tough. It was something new. Having to read three and 400 pages a night. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, I wasn't accustomed to that. I wasn't used to that. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of that program, uh, after that program ended, about three weeks later, I got a letter in the mail that said, welcome to the incoming class at Michigan State University College of Law. Wow. And that was in August of 20, uh, 2007. And I went to law school. And I, I won't belabor that, that, but I went to law school and I graduated three years later with my law degree. And I was the only African-American male in my graduating class of 386 people. Mm -hmm. I commuted 119 miles each way, four days a week for two years and two days a week for the the last year. Some days I didn't have food, but a pack of oatmeal and a sandwich. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Some days I had enough gas to get to school and get back back home. Mm. There was a lot going on then. My grandfather took ill. He had had some strokes. And I ended up having to become his caregiver. I moved him in with me. Mm. And so my mom and my brothers, we found ourselves in a new normal where we all had to alter our lives. And it was tough and it was rough, but I was determined to get a law degree. And thanks be to God, I got that law degree before God called my grandfather home. Yeah. Um, uh, and I graduated. And we never know the path God is gonna take us. Yeah, I'm just listening to you, man. First of all, I totally get the agony of success now <laughs> when you hear a story like that. But just listening to the orchestration of, you know, being at that school at that time, coming out at that right time. Absolutely. And to this lady, I, I worked for two colleges as an admissions, uh, admissions rep. And I know when you got that, when you got that background issue, when it comes to those legal programs, I mean, it's, it's really tough to just get beyond that. And uh, so to see, like you moved from, as you say in the book, lawbreaker to lawmaker, it's amazing. So how did you get into politics? How do we get here? So uh, that wasn't even a part of my plan. Okay. That wasn't a part of my plan. I just wanted to go to law school, be a lawyer and become a judge. I uh -huh. wanted to save the world. I wanted to save folks and help them change their lives. And so I never had a desire to be a lawmaker. Uh -huh. And uh, a couple of my close friends are judges. And uh, one of my close friends, she's retired now. She's a judge. She was a judge for about 23 years. She and I were on the phone and we were talking. And I said, you know, um, elections is coming up later this year for state rep and some other seats. I'm really thinking about running for state rep. I said, um, it's an open seat. There's no incumbent running in my district. Hmm. And she said, what? No incumbent. I said, there's no incumbent. I said, so I feel like I got just as good of a chance as anybody else, you know? And so she just knew I really wasn't going to go through with it. And I, I went and sought out information. I started calling people. Uh, I started reaching out to a lot of the unions uh, and a lot of the stakeholders, uh, having conversations, uh, other elected officials. And I prayed about it. I went and met with my pastor, the honorable general board member, Bishop J. Drew Shear, mm -hmm. and had a conversation with my pastor. And we prayed about it. And when God gave me the green light, I went forward. Mm -hmm. And um, I had assisted a number of people with their elections and their campaigns, but mainly judges. And so I took what I learned from them mm -hmm. and just added a more hands-on approach, real life hands-on approach. Okay. Um, I didn't have a lot of money. And so um, I had a shoestring budget, as we call it. Mm -hmm. And most days it was my mother and my brother and I knocking doors from 10 in the morning. And we would take a break about two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. We would start back up about four o'clock and go to eight o'clock. Wow. And we knocked doors in the district of all the voters. Um, and then on the weekend, some of my friends would come and help. Um, I raised about $25,000, which was nothing. Mm -hmm. But we took that $25,000 and we made it work. We did mail-ins, we bought lawn signs, 
um, I couldn't afford to use a professional mailing service, a mail house. So my mother and a lot of uh, about four or five women, they were volunteers. They would sit at my dining room table and put labels on the mailings wow. to 10 and 20,000 people because I couldn't afford to go to a mail house. Mm. I was in a race with four other people. One of the individuals, two of the individuals had run for state rep prior mm -hmm. and was unsuccessful. Another individual was the son of a former mayor and he also was a county commissioner and his brother was a current state representative. Then there was one female in the race and she was well known, well engaged in a big chunk of the, the district that I was running in. And then there was me, a nobody. Mm -hmm. I hadn't been elected and never run for anything. But I was determined I was going to outwork everyone. Yeah. Uh, and so not only did I outwork, but I had God on my side. I had the church folks praying. Uh, I had hard work and determination. And I told my story. Mm -hmm. And to my surprise, there were a lot of people like, boy, you was, you know, a, a kid when you got in trouble. You know, that's how they looked at it. You know, right, right. look at what you've done since then. You got a bachelor's, a master's, a law degree. Yeah. You know, they're like, this is the type of people we need and we want to represent us, people who have real life experience. Right. You know, and so I always thought that my goals were, I, I wasn't, wasn't going to be able to obtain them. Judge Greg Mathis is a member of our church. Hmm. And so Judge Greg Mathis, you know, is a member who has a similar story of getting in trouble with the law. Right, and right. he went through a conditional program at law school. Okay. And he dropped out of high school. And so I began to look at how my story was parallel with his. And I said, God, if you could do it for him, you could do it for me. Right. And I ran that race up until the last day. And um, three days before election, my opponents got together and did a dirty mailing. And they did a mail-in talking about my felony convictions as if I hadn't shared it. Right. And that took the wind out of me. I was like, Lord, what in the world? And so by this time, it's Friday and Saturday before the election, which is Tuesday. I have no time to get to a printer and get a mailing printed, designed and printed and mailed out to respond to that dirty mail. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, well, what do I do? I had my bishop to do a robocall. I did a robocall. So for the next three days, a different person did a robocall mm -hmm. and we addressed that dirty mailing. Yeah. Election day, it was long. The voting polls were open from seven in the morning to eight o'clock at night. Uh -huh. And I went from poll to poll to poll and I had volunteers on each poll. When the polls closed, everybody gathered at my house and we had food and it was 10 o'clock. I kept going from first to second, first to second. It was 11 o'clock. It was midnight. Oh, it was one in the morning. <laughs> it was three in the morning. And finally, I told everybody, you all have to go. I'm exhausted. I'm going to get in the shower and go to bed. It is what it is. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. And I got in the shower and I laid in the bed with my laptop and I kept hitting F5, F5. Uh, it was 6.03 in the morning and my cell phone rang. And it was a call from the clerk, and she said, congratulations, I just called your race. You won by 96 votes. 96 votes. 96 votes. <laughs> and I was just blown back like, what in the world? I won by, I won? You know, <laughs> these people, you know, and I'm like, wow. But even in my winning, 
I couldn't really celebrate totally because the next day there was a news reporter uh, knocking at my door, wanting to talk about my past. Now, now, and he was a friend of one of the opponents. Okay. And so he was a thorn in my side the whole time. Wow. But I, I went to work. I, I was sworn in. Uh, I went to work every day, my first term. I never missed a day at work. I never missed a vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and I represented one of the most diverse districts in Michigan. I represented the poorest of the poor, the lower east side of Detroit. And I represented the riches of the rich, which is like gross point area. So you have your basketball and and, and football team owners and Anita Baker and a number of people that live in in the the gross points. Mm -hmm. And so I had a balancing act. I had to please the, I had to address issues uh, in the the lower economic area, but also in the higher economic area. When I went to work, didn't miss a vote. Two years later, I had to run for re-election. Young lady moved back from DC. She runs against me. I'm like, it's part of the democratic process. People are like, oh, you're going to be a one-term legislator. I said, absolutely not. I've gone to work every day. I've done my job. And my staff and my team and I ran. And we ran and it was difficult. But in the end, I won by almost a thousand votes, my re-election. And that that showed me that I had went to work and done right by the people. Because I got more votes that time than I did initially. Mm -hmm. And when I had to run again in 2016, I won't give all the details of the book, but all odds was against me in my third and final reelection. All Mm -hmm. odds. Criminal charges were brought up against me. Uh, There was a young lady who lived down the street, was running against me. Um, But I raised more money that election than I had ever raised. I raised almost $200,000 for my reelection. And I got more votes that year than I ever had gotten. Mm. And so even though I have been successful, my success didn't come without agony. Yeah. It didn't come out, it didn't come without some sleepless nights. Yeah. It didn't come out where I had to cry. You know, it didn't come with sometimes I had to be strong for in front of everybody else. Mm-hmm. But I had to go home and, and really deal with what I was facing and dealing with at the time. And so agony happens but it doesn't mean it stops or cancels out your success. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome, man. But like I said, look, do you all have to read the book if you want to get <laughs> that, that whole story? But we were talking earlier before, and it's so amazing um, because that agony, like you said, that agony that you went through, even though you couldn't fathom that there was a purpose for it, dealing with your your grandmother and that, that, I don't want to call your grandmother evil, but the evil. That was my sister. That was my step-grandmother. Call her what you want to call her. <laughs> your step-grandmother and, and what you dealt with and how your mom, you had to see your mom contain herself and, and try to respect this woman in her house. And now you're in a world, a political world where you are basically dealing with that same behavior. It's like, amazing how that is what you do now you're still dealing with that absolutely and even though i'm not in office you know i run a consulting company Uh Uh, i have government officials who i represent Uh, i have organizations and companies who i represent Uh, and 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 i provide consulting services to them in school districts and Uh have a number of clients but it's all politics yeah all politics and based upon relationships 
And so um, I didn't know then, but God was preparing me for where I am now. Right. You know, when I look back over my life, you know, I can truly say I've been blessed. Yeah. You know, I can truly say nobody but God. Here it is. I'm 44 years old and all my needs are met. Mm-hmm. All my bills are paid. I don't have a desire in the world. Yeah. You no, know, uh, we're in a very uh, critical, hard time right now in a pandemic. You know, God has kept and sustained me and my family. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had a few family members that got the virus, but God allowed them to stay here and, and be healed. Wow. You know, and so I've just learned that, you know, we got to look at the glasses half full and not half empty. And sometimes mm-hmm. when we're going through the pressure cooker, you know, it's, 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 it's to build us. It's to build character. It's to build uh, our faith. It's to build our trust. And so that's what, that's what it taught me. And it, it wasn't easy and it was difficult. And I had some lonely, difficult days, you know, I, I, to have your name, as my bishop would say, have your name um, plastered across the billboard of scandalism. Mm. You know, people tell, oh, he got felonies and da 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 da. Mm. I had to go to church every Sunday and hold my head up. Right. I had to go to the grocery store and put a smile on my face. Mm. But I didn't know. I didn't know. It wasn't for me. It was for me to write this book. It was for me to tell my story. Yeah. And hopefully my story will encourage and uplift people so they'll know no matter what, keep going, keep pushing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that was, I mean, you spoke to it. I was going to ask you, how, how do you address someone who's going through these times in life and it just doesn't seem fair and they just, they're just ready to give up? Um, and, and, and you just spoke to it perfectly, perfectly. You know, listen, whether someone's going through a divorce or have gone through a divorce, whether you've lost a child, whether you've gotten some uh, bad reports, whether you've made some poor choices and poor decisions and had to go through the criminal justice system, whatever your plot or plight is and has been, it, 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 it hasn't killed you. Mm-hmm. And so take that and learn from it. Yeah. Learn a lesson in it. Learn a lesson, but hold on and hang on. Mm-hmm. Because if you learn a lesson, God will give you a plan for your success. He'll give you a way out. Yeah. You know, God will give you, the Bible speaks about witty inventions. God will give you a path for you to, to take that you never even imagined. I never thought that I would run for a public office and become a lawmaker. Right. A lawmaker, the person who makes the laws for the whole entire state, a state legislator, a member of the House of Representatives. You know, but God know, knew before I knew that that was the, the path he was going to have for me. Yeah. And so even when it gets hard, even when it gets tough, you know, keep going, keep pushing, find some strength from somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and so for me, my strength was my faith in God, but also I had my grandfather and my mother who were supporters. And then the judge who I stood before. Mm-hmm. You know, I came back in contact with her about nine years after I stood before mm-hmm. when I was in law school. To, and I went back to tell her, thank you. Thank you. I, I thanked her for believing in me. I thanked her for giving me another chance. She could have sent me to prison. Yep. But she saw something in me that said, uh-uh, not this one. And so God will put people in your life that will help you to catapult to where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so I'm appreciative to all those who God used and orchestrated to be in my life to get me to my place of destiny. Wonderful. We, we like to talk to the aspiring authors as well who watch our show um, and just let them know 
some tips or lessons that you learned in your book writing process. So if you could give one piece of advice that you learned, something that was significant during your book writing and, and process, what would that be? What would that advice be? I would say, first of all, we all have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. Everyone has something they can tell and share. Uh, for me, it was creating a path for me to complete my book where I wouldn't start and finish as I had done in times past. Mm -hmm. And so I remember reaching out to uh, our friend Tiffany, who's a member of my church, uh, who was my book coach. And I said, look, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And when I come out of this pandemic, I got to have one or two things done. I either got to have my book done or I got to be done writing my dissertation. And I'm going to take the book, Alex, for 100 because the dissertation is going to take too much reading, too much writing, too much research. And I just don't even want to deal with that right now. And so I told Tiffany, I want to be done by a particular date. And Tiffany came up with a schedule. And so I drafted, I just wrote down uh, a, a draft of titles for each chapter. And I took a piece of paper for each chapter and I did an outline of different things, bullet points that I wanted to talk about in that chapter. And I found what worked for me was I took my cell phone and I went into my cell phone and I went to my email mm -hmm. and I would email myself. I would send an email to myself, but I would talk right into my phone. This chapter is about da 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 My grandmother was an alcoholic. There were many a nights that I did X, Y, Z, da 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 And I would have my paper in front of me with all my bullet points. Uh -huh. And I would keep talking and keep talking and keep talking. And when I got done addressing all of my bullet points, I would hit send and send it to myself. Uh -huh. And then I would take the email and copy and paste it into a Word document and correct any grammar issues and send it to my editor. And before I knew it, I had five, 6,000 words wow. in a 30 minute uh, <laughs> conversation to myself on my phone. And it just, it just became, it became easy. And then the book coach, the editor would send it back and ask questions to fill in holes and fill in blanks. But listen, don't give up. Uh, you know, I would tell anybody, keep writing, keep writing. And as you go, God will bring things back to your remembrance for you to add in and, and to yeah. take out and for you to tweak and, and whatnot, whatnot. And so I would say, keep going. Uh, discover your path. Discover a process that works for you. Uh, it's in you. Yeah. And so it's up to you to birth it out of you. That is so powerful. And so, I mean, you know, many times people talk themselves out of this, um, out of the process because they think they have to be I don't know, Shakespeare, you know? And, uh, you know, like you said, it's just about finding what works for you. And that, that was awesome. I mean, that was genius what you did. And, and, and what's interesting and just shocking to me, um, as you know, I, I, I had one set of books. I have one book left. As you know, I just ordered another order of books. Yeah. But the reviews that I received, mm -hmm. uh, a church, uh, one of the church mothers at my church who's a retired principal and educator, she called me. She said, Brother Brian, I couldn't put the book down. My husband kept saying, put it down. Save some for later. She <laughs> said, I, it just kept my attention. Right. I kept wanting to know what was going to happen next or what happened with this situation. What happened with that situation? To hear people say and send messages on Facebook, oh, my God, I had to put the book down. You know, one of my friends said I had to put the book down because I began to he began to see himself. Mm. And, you know, unfortunately, in me writing the book, 
it brought up some feelings that I thought I had I had released. Oh yeah. And so he said, Brian, I could see myself in so many of the different situations. And so people are like, wow, you spoke right to where I am. Mm. And it doesn't mean that everybody's been in trouble with the law, no. But some people have been divorced. Some people got a child that's experiencing criminal issues. Some people have, uh, 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 they went through a relationship where it ended sour. They lost a loved one, a child, a mother, a parent. Whatever it is, people found themselves uh, somewhere in the book, yeah. somewhere questioning God, somewhere saying, God, why me? You know, God, deliver me. Yeah. Get me out of this situation. And so, you know, the reviews that have been amazing. Uh, I'm just glad that God gave me the transparency yeah. to share my story, but also to allow it to bless people as it has. And I look forward to it continuing to be a blessing to people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the people who have no testimony have no value, you know? And and, and so it's, it's, it's amazing. We want to criticize everyone who's gone through something or made some 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 wrong turns. But those are the people who, who you learn the most from, right? Like if I, I can tell you all day how to go straight and narrow, but how do you how do you survive when you get outside of that straight and narrow? And that's where your value comes in. And uh, and just listening to your story, reading your story, um, it's, it's very clear, like everything you went through had a purpose. I mean, it, it's like, I don't see any wasted seeds in your <laughs> in your garden, man. I don't see any wasted seeds, even like I said, even down to dealing with your grandmother and now how you have to deal in the political world. That is amazing. Um, man, what's what's next, man? What's next for you? Um, and what, what can people expect to see from you? Listen, I'm going to continue sharing my story. And I, I didn't tell it all. I left a whole lot for a, a second book, you know, and I'm going to continue sharing my story and uplifting. You know, God has been opening some doors. Um, some other family members have some testimonies, but God has allowed uh, me to be in one of my aunts. Uh, I mentioned her in the book uh, and one of her um, TV shows that she was fortunate and blessed to get on, which will be coming out in February uh, on BET. Uh, and so of her life story and her struggle, um, but uh, a number of speaking engagements have come through and God is just opening up doors and I'm just going to continue to share my story, continue to uh, try my best to live right yeah. uh, and, and be a blessing to others. Uh, and I just have a new look and a new, you know, new outlook at life. Mm -hmm. You know, God has been so good to me. Um, just the fact that I'm still here. Yeah. Just the fact that, you know, I, I have life in my body, you know, ha has really caused me to look at things totally different now. I'm not sweating the small stuff, but I want my, I want God to use my life to be a blessing to others. Yeah. And so, um, you know, people say, well, when are you going to run for office again? We'll see. You know, um, we'll see, you know, if that's it in my future. Um, uh, ultimately, it will be because I want to run for I want to be a judge unless the governor appoints me at one point. But I'm just appreciative um, that my life and my story is able to bless others. And that's what I'm going to continue to do. Yeah. When you see the when you see the direction that your life has gone, it's impossible to to believe that there's just a random chance. You know, there's more for you and you know that it's orchestrated. How can people reach you? 
Oh, sure. Um, I have a website. It is www.itihad, the number two, happen, H-A-P-P-E-N.com. And that's www.itihad, the number two, happen.com is my website. They can go there and get the, uh, purchase a book, read about me, read some reviews. Uh, also, I am on Facebook uh, at Brian Banks JD, Brian Banks, JD. Um, they can reach me there. Also, there's a, a contact phone number of area code 313-346-5390. Uh, and uh, I'm around uh, working and, and speaking um, to Second Chance programs. I just did a, a earlier this morning uh, a chat with some inmates at a prison, and you know I um I reached out to a, a business to ask them would they sponsor sixty books to send mm -hmm. each one of those inmates a book, so yeah. they'll know that regardless of what you're in there for, when you come out life isn't over for you. Yeah. You can start again, and God can still use you. You can still be whatever you want to be. You know, take that opportunity and that experience and learn from it. And so. That's what I'm about, helping people transform their lives and understand that no matter what you've done, God still loves you and God still can use you. I'll tell you this. I, I, uh, I have a life mantra, if you will, um, and that is to inspire, empower, and produce. And uh, I see that throughout your story, uh, Attorney Banks, um, just the inspiration you provide. Um, your story empowers people. Um, and definitely you produce greatness. So I want to thank you again for being on the show. And I'm looking forward to a very prosperous and long-lasting relationship with you. Very good. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. I look forward to working with you on uh, whatever next is. And I, I appreciate everything. And thank you for your listeners and your audience. And, and remember, it had to happen. Everything in life had to happen. So I appreciate you. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Man, that was great, man.